0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, our text is the gospel, which I've already read. You may be seated. There is only one way of salvation. Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christian apologists use this as sort of a proof text to show that Christianity does, in fact, make exclusive claims. That is, it excludes the idea that all religions are essentially the same, but equally valid paths to heaven. Christianity says that's not right, because Jesus says that's not right. But this also makes the point that the Reformation tried to reinforce. We can't contribute anything to our salvation. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we cannot add to it. For Luther, this was primarily directed at Rome's insistence that Christ's sacrifice on the cross did make heaven possible, but it was up to the Christian participating in the system of sacraments, especially with penance, To work off as much of the debt of their sin as they could in this life, and then to spend many years in purgatory after this life was concluded to work off whatever was left. Unfortunately, the groups that spun off from the Reformation have come full circle. Spinoffs are never as good as the original. Among Protestant Christians, there is a religious devotion to the idea that we must make a decision for Jesus, that is to become a Christian. We must declare, we must make this decision for ourselves that we believe in Jesus. Some organizations will hand out Bibles that will have a page in them that encourage them, uh, the reader of that Bible, that is, to sign their name and record the date on which they decided to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. If you go to some Protestant churches today, there is often an altar call for people who want to commit or even in some cases recommit their lives to Jesus. Believe it or not, this is relatively common in much of Protestant Christianity and is a very sneaky form of works righteousness. If the salvation of the soul depends on a person's Personal decision to believe in Jesus. It does not hang on the cross of Jesus Ironically enough many of those who ran away from Rome ran so far away that they came right back to the same old error Jesus is great But you need to add something to make salvation yours they claim and to make this point jesus places before us two men on the one hand the pharisee is an example of where this trust in something other than jesus sacrifice ultimately leads he stands up which is not an unusual posture for prayer we stand up for prayer in here and he gives thanks to god that he is not like other men and he gives a list of examples extortioners unjust Adulterers, or even like our friend, the tax collector, of whom we'll speak in a moment. Now, before we're too hard on the Pharisee, let's just say that, for the sake of clarity, that it is good to refrain from these kinds of things. Jesus is not telling us that stealing, being unrighteous, and adultery are good things. They're not. So what's this guy's actual problem? He goes on to pray. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. In first century Israel, these were works that would have been considered above and beyond what was expected of the faithful. By mentioning these things, this man is showing that he thinks that he is righteous before God because of his own actions, by his own devotion. He does more than God commands, after all. But the irony for a guy who thinks that God, who thanks God for not being unjust himself, that is unrighteous, is that he does not go down to his house justified, that is declared righteous by God. So what does all this mean? It means that there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves righteous enough to meet God's standards. St. Paul says, By works of the law, no human being will be justified. That's kind of a big gut punch. No one, not one single person. If you are hoping to live your life the right way, to pray, to fast, to tithe, whatever it might be, no amount of these things will get you anywhere with God. If these works, which are actually commanded by God in his law, aren't enough to make us righteous in God's sight in and of themselves, then how much less would indulgences for making a decision to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, how much less would those things not commanded by the scriptures fail to make us righteous? Our problem is a righteousness problem. If we trust in our own to get to God, we will fail every time. St. Paul says when he writes to the Ephesians, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The reason we cannot make God happy with our own righteousness is that because we are so unrighteous, we are spiritually dead and blind. Spiritually dead because the wages of sin, as you know, is death. Spiritually blind, which is why we often think if we can just do something really impressive to God, then surely this one time we can change His mind about us. As is the case with sin and its effects, self-righteousness almost always leading to treating others that you think are worse than you as less worthy of God's love, which is the point that st luke tells us that jesus is trying to make to put it another way if our relationship with god is disordered then our relationship with those who are around us is also going to be disordered the pharisee thought well at least i'm not like this tax collector this is a danger for us that we ought to be aware of If our thinking is, God, I thank you that I'm not like the abortionists, the homosexuals, communists, or even that poor schmuck across the aisle from me. And you're not better off than the Pharisee in the text. God does not grade on a curve. The only standard for righteousness that matters is that which is given in God's law in the commandments, all of which we have failed to keep. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Repent. But here is a beautiful thing. Even though there is nothing that we can do to make God happy with us, the answer is not that we need to work harder and longer and more to earn God's love. You don't have to sit with Luther at the monastery and run to confession Every, with every stray thought to whip your body, to show God how sorry you are for your sins and how much you want to make up for what you've done, said, or thought. Dear Saints, the beautiful thing is that God is already well pleased with you. To illustrate this, Jesus places before us the tax collector. The tax collector stands far away. He refuses even to look up to the heavens. He beats his own chest in sorrow. He cries out to God for mercy. But the kind of mercy isn't really specified very clearly in our English translation of the Bible, unfortunately. If we translate the tax collector's prayer literally from the Greek text, this is what it would say. God be propitiated to me, the sinner. The tax collector doesn't lift up his eyes and so he doesn't see others to which to compare himself. In his mind, he is the only sinner. This is not unlike the Apostle Paul who calls himself the chief of sinners. Far from trusting in himself and seeing others as less than he is, This man sees himself as the least. He knows there is nowhere else to go for him because he has already hit rock bottom. And that's why the idea of that word that I translated from the text that you don't hear very often is so important. That that concept of propitiation. This is a very specific kind of mercy for which the tax collector cries out to God. He is asking that God would make atonement for his sins. He is asking that all of his sins would be forgiven. This prayer offered most likely at the time of the daily atonement sacrifice at the temple. By praying this prayer, this man is looking for blood to cover his sins blotting them out of God's sight forever. And that, dear saints, is why God is already happy with you. The atonement sacrifice has already been made. It was not a bull. It was not a lamb, but it was the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is with this sacrifice in view, dear saints, that we can know that God smiles upon us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done in taking our sins upon himself and dying the death that we deserve, thus making atonement for our sins. Satan wants us to stand far off from Christ, our atoning sacrifice, like this poor tax collector. But St. Paul reminds us, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus justified the tax collector, who knew he had no hope in himself for salvation, and he was brought near to Jesus. In the same way, the blood of Christ brings you into the nearer presence of God, so that here, at the altar in front of you, You have the atoning sacrifice, the very blood of Jesus, which was made at Calvary, which was poured out from his holy veins, is given to you here. Here, by the blood of Jesus, God propitiates himself toward you by the blood of his Son. And you are sent home justified, declared righteous by God for the sake of Jesus' holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death. So then, what do we do about those works commanded by God? What of our fasting and what of our tithing? Well, dear saints, now that you have been freed from the terror of God's wrath over your sins, you may do these things not as slaves to fear and death, but as sons of God. The Reformation never sought to abolish good works, but it merely sought to restore them to their rightful place. That is, as fruits of the Spirit that grow from a justified heart. And so as you consider your life in light of this atoning sacrifice, you can go in peace and joy, knowing that whatever acts of love that you do for your neighbor They are done in the sight of your heavenly father who smiles down on you, no matter how glorious these works may appear to the world around you. And so with this in mind, I do want you to consider your tithes to the congregation. Your tithe is not done under obligation as the Pharisee did when he tithed 10% on everything he had as he tried to make God happy with him. But I want you to know that God is pleased with your offering that is given in faith toward him. You know that you can never repay your debt to God, nor can you put God in your debt by your offering. Our offerings come from one place, and that is a heart that is thankful to God for his generosity in buying us back from slavery to sin and death, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood And with his bitter sufferings and death although you may be troubled by the church's general fund balance remember how god has cared for you in his son jesus and after all that he has done for you you will suffer no lack in body or soul in jesus name and now the peace of god which passes all understanding Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.